Welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore, and in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions, and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease, and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to episode three of Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm so excited for this episode because we're going to explore music and food with one of my favorite people, my husband, James Sizemore. As he says in this episode, he's always like lurking in the back of my Instagram feed, but hates being on camera. (laughs) So this is really the first time that you guys have heard from him. And we're going to explore the similarities between music and food and how we both create. We're also going to talk about our own family dynamic around music and food, and we're going to have some fun and play some games, which I hope that you guys enjoy. I hope that you guys like this episode. As always, if it resonates with you, please leave a comment or share. It really goes a long way in helping this work out. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome, James. Can you say hi? Hello. I'm laughing because (laughs) I'm doing this with my husband and I'm in my attic office and he's in his music studio over our garage. And I feel very nervous talking to you on a podcast. (laughs) So welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I've always been the one lurking in the background of your Instagram feed. (laughs) So now everybody can hear me up front and personal. Oh, they're going to be so excited. All right. Well, we're going to kick things off with the first question that I ask all of my podcast guests, and that is, what is your cultural upbringing and how did that influence your relationship to food? Mm, I wish it was more interesting. I'm pretty American, I guess, (laughs) you know, pretty (laughs) normal upbringing. I grew up in Atlanta and I think it was rare during the 80s that my mother wouldn't make dinner. So we always had dinner every night as a family, pretty much, except for Sunday afternoons. Sunday mornings, we would go to church service almost every Sunday, sometimes much to my protest. And then we'd go out to this restaurant called Mix in downtown Atlanta, which was just like a bar and grill. And every Sunday I would order fried chicken tenders, a chocolate malt, and chocolate cake. And that was my... Every Sunday. Yeah, that was my Sunday. That was my one time out during the week. Yeah. (laughs) You were apparently a pretty picky kid. Yeah? I liked peanut butter and jelly and hot dogs. So, you know, (laughs) I wasn't just like a one food kind of guy or anything. (laughs) Just so you guys know, these days, this man eats everything. Yeah. So... There's hope for all those picky kids out there. My palate has definitely opened up. I mean, I didn't eat sushi until I was probably 19 or 20 years old, you know, not even hardly fish, although my mom would make it. I would just put up a lot of protests for it, but I just wasn't exposed to it. I think a lot of the recipes I had growing up were, you know, casseroles, tried and true, sort of my mom had her box of index cards. It was handed down from my grandmother Mm -hmm. and was sort of the family recipe box, you know, so I wasn't exposed to all those kind of, I think I guacamole for the first time when I was 16, maybe. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. And I promise to all the listeners, we will get to music in a second. But both you and I share that. In fact, while I always loved food as a kid, and I was always experimenting in a way, the access I had to different foods didn't exist. Like I had a job in 
high school working at a store and some of the customers brought me eggplants and I had never seen an eggplant before high school. And then the same as you, I tried sushi for the first time, probably in college, but really it was in college. I learned so much about food and cooking from you and from all your friends because you lived in a house with a bunch of guys and you guys loved to cook. Yeah, we'd make those three-hour Saturday morning breakfasts. Yes. <laughs> I would be starving and it'd be like 2 o'clock <laughs> and we'd finally have breakfast. <laughs> So I want to just really quickly let all of our listeners get to know you a little bit and your history with music, because if they could see you right now, I can see you on my screen and you've got all your instruments in the background and music really defines you in a big way. So can you just share a brief bit about your history? Yeah, I started taking piano lessons when I was really young and was into it about as much as any small youngins are into playing, doing piano practicing. But then I found the flute and started playing in my youth symphony and in band. And so I started getting into playing in the orchestra. And then that led when I was in middle school to trying out the drums and getting into rock bands and continuing that all through high school. It was really sort of the center of my social structure was the rock band. And people, all my friends would come to the rehearsals and we'd all hang out afterwards. And come to the shows. So that was really sort of the basis of my community and my social structure was all through music. And my parents were really supportive when I said I wanted to pursue it professionally and studied music in college and just kept with it. I dragged you along with me to New York City <laughs> so I could pursue the film industry. I always wanted to live in Vermont, but New York or LA was pretty much my choices. And so then dragged you along here with me and did a graduate program after working in studios and clubs for a few years and doing pro audio. And I've been working in the film industry here in New York for the past 15 years, employed by a very successful composer named Howard Shore, as well as just working just about anything I can in the film industry, whether it's composing, arranging, orchestrating, mixing. And now I largely work as a music editor, just jumping from one film production to another. And I'm also a composer. I've released three albums. You can listen to them across any streaming platform. Just look for James Sizemore, including the music for this podcast, even. Yes, I cannot believe I have not mentioned that yet. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the intro music is by James, and I love it. Yeah. And I will <laughs> yeah, say the so intro music has the mind, body, spirit, food. So the mind is like these little puzzle repeating phrases supposed to represent the mind. The body is sort of the choir. The spirit is this like angelic voice that floats over the top of the theme music. And then the food, I just took the sound of a frying pan and stuck it in there. So it the encapsulates. Yeah. So listen carefully next time you hear the theme music there, listeners. Well, I would say that's just one of many reasons why I love the music you write and the albums you've written, because there is strong intention behind the music you write. And we've talked about this before, and I think this would be a fun conversation to have because just so all of you guys know out there, I am tone deaf. I have zero musical talent, but I love music. I love music. And I'm so grateful to live with somebody who knows music and can write it. But the way I approach writing recipes is similar in a lot of the ways to the way you approach writing music, even though to me, what you do is very impossible seeming. But can you just describe that process a little bit? Yeah, I definitely think there's a strong analogy between the idea of, you know, cooking and recipe development and 
music. And it really, for me, along with almost the sort of root of any creativity is just a single idea, is trying to take an idea of being like, what is it that I want to make? Do I want to make a spinach artichoke dip or a roast chicken? Or you kind of have to have a canvas, you know, you have to have set yourself a certain framework about what it is you want to create. And I think there's a real connection between my musical approach and you doing recipe development is really trying to pinpoint what that idea is. And so then sometimes that's through divine inspiration, it feels like. Sometimes, you know, the melody will just Mm -hmm. sort of pop into my head from nowhere. It feels like it's, you know, almost handed down to me by the muses or something. And then the actual process of creating a piece of music sometimes feels like you have to put on your lab coat or your apron and you have to get into the kitchen Mm. and roll your sleeves up and you have to get dirty and sometimes it doesn't work the first way through. And sometimes (laughs) the best part of it is not even eating the meal or listening to the piece of music afterwards. It's sort of that process of discovery of like being in the kitchen and getting your hands dirty and figuring out how it's, you know, going to come together. And sometimes that's as rewarding Mm. as the actual first bite is. You know, that's something I have been, as you well know, trying to embody more of in the past year, especially, is letting go of the end result and just focusing on the process. And within that practice, I've become a better cook, which I, you know, I'm a trained chef. I've been in this industry for almost 20 years. And in the past year, I've become a better cook because of that focus on the process and finding the joy in the process because as a cook, it forces me to become more present. And when you are more present in the kitchen, you're more attuned to what's happening. You're trusting your instincts. You're kind of ditching what's on the page and you're actually cooking from a place of intuitive knowledge. So I love that you said that. And with music, it's really fun to watch you create something and to see how it evolves, kind of like how I will tinker with flavors and you and the girls have to eat the same thing seven times before I get it right. How many iterations do you usually go through with a track? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of that both, you know, food and music are really so ephemeral. I mean, food, Mm -hmm. you're like, you spend all this effort into cooking something and preparing something so perfectly, and then it's gone. You eat it, or it doesn't last, and you have to throw it away, whatever the case is. (laughs) But it's ephemeral, as you know, it doesn't stick around. And the same thing, it's like if I sit down at the piano and I come up with a really inspired musical idea, while I'm playing it, it exists. It's the airwaves moving around. And then as soon as you're done, it just sort of, you know, disappears into the ether. Until I set up my microphones and record everything or write it all down in the same way you do with your recipe development, it's just such an ephemeral thing. And that's what's kind of fun about it, too, is that, you know, you're Mm -hmm. creating something that is fleeting, you know, so you have to sort of enjoy the process. And for me, I find that ideas, if I have to keep on working at it too much and doing it over and over and over again, then sometimes it's not a great idea. Like I find that the best musical ideas come together really quickly. Mm, I love that. You're right. And it's like, I I don't know if you remember this. (laughs) I tried to nail this upside down apple cake last year over and over. I think I tested it 10 times and then finally realized I was going at it all wrong. And that's what turned into my applesauce. I've got a grain-free apple cake that's on fromscratchfast.com, but it turned into something totally different. And you're right. I just, I became too perfectionist. I became too caught up in my head with this one idea and it was not meant to be that idea. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. You kind of have to 
you know, set your expectations. And that's really with my career and my life in general, is setting these expectations of what you want your dish to be and sort of just rolling with the process and sort of allowing mm-hmm. it to become what it's going to be on its own without trying to force it so much. Yeah, I love this idea of a creative idea having its own energy. What is the book? I think it's Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, maybe. But she talks about how these creative concepts, they're not really ours. Like, I don't feel like when I develop a recipe, it's like, oh, this is mine. It's just something that kind of comes through me. And then I put it out there. And then other people also have their hands in it. And similarly, when people listen to music, their moods affect how they hear it where they're sitting, what they're doing, this is all going to affect how they internalize that music. And same thing with the recipe. It's like not something that's mine. It's something I get to play with (laughs) and I get to like channel through in a little way. And then you got to let it go. And then it's just out there. Yeah. It's going to do whatever it needs to do. I've heard Elizabeth Gilbert mention that before. I think I saw it on a TED talk or something, but it, it really gets to the root of why we pursue these things, you know, because it allows us to step outside of ourselves and sort of experience something that's bigger and larger than ourselves, you know, to tap into, I don't want to say a spiritual realm, but more like a creative world. I mean, it's like when I'm in the flow of writing music or when you're really into making something in the kitchen, you get into that flow state and it's just time just kind of disappears because you're so caught up into Mm. it. And that's a real gift. And I feel really privileged to be able to make my career and make an income doing something that allows me to escape into that world from time to time. Yes, absolutely. Me too. And that being said, part of our jobs is also very heady at times too. So just so people don't think we're all just like, oh, in the bliss zone all the time. I'm an expert at spreadsheets. (laughs) I was going to say, you are the Excel master. (laughs) So within our family dynamic, music and food both play a critical role in the sense that we have to eat. (laughs) But actually, let's step back because I think it's interesting for people to hear about how we as a family manage just the food part. Because while people think that I'm cooking every meal, that's not the case. So James is the breakfast maker. I do not make breakfast. And this really solidified after the pandemic, I think. This is like where maybe our roles got more equalized because you used to head to an outside studio. And now since then, you've been working from home like I have, but I make dinner, but I have help. And the same thing is James is the breakfast maker. I do like the lunches for the kids. Ella, who's in junior high, is in charge of her own breakfast and her own lunch. So we do kind of tackle food all together. And I think that's just important to say. Yeah, I think that our relationship might be even somewhat unique in the sense that we both step in. I mean, we're both meeting each other halfway there. It's like one of us doesn't need to stay home and watch the kids or feed the kids or do all that because we're constantly both trying to do that. And it's really the fact that we're proactive at it, I think, that is really what makes it work. But we also have pretty careful divisions, you know, and I think that having that schedule and those expectations of exactly what I'm going to do and what you're going to do allows us to sort of take that responsibility off the table. Because Mm. I know that, you know, you might be meditating in the morning and I'm going to take that time to make a big breakfast for Juniper. You guys should see the breakfasts this guy makes (laughs) for Juniper. They were like, 
three course breakfasts yeah. for our eight year olds. And maybe that's a chance for, I mean, I do enjoy it too. I mean, I complain about it from time to time, you know, cleaning up after <laughs> our 12 year olds breakfast remnants and then making breakfast for the nine. But I also really enjoy the fact that I know that she's going out the door and she has a good breakfast and all that kind of stuff. So there's some personal reward to it for sure. Otherwise I probably wouldn't do it. But nonetheless, you know, even when you're Making dinner, it's not like I'm sitting in a living room reading the newspaper, you know, and we're making our Sunday night suppers. I'm trying to get in there and do the dishes and try to help with prep and make cocktails, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He is the cocktail maker, a very important job. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We're all pitching in and I spend a lot more time in the kitchen because my job revolves around it. And so I'm, you know, testing, I'm doing photographs and things like that. So I have a bigger footprint in the kitchen, but I just want people to know that I also have a massive amount of help and that's really great. Now, unfortunately, I don't help much when it comes to the music side of things because I hate choosing music. I love being exposed to music. We have music on every evening during dinner and I hate being the one to choose it. So, okay, this is going to be a fun little game. Create a dinner party playlist. What are five tracks that you would love to hear at a dinner party? Well, it'd have to be something sort of background music-like. So I tend to go towards instrumental music. And I also, it's one fun thing about working on films that I sort of am introduced to a different musical world each time that I get onto a different movie. And that really informs my sort of music listening. Like I did a movie last year called Confess Fletch, and it introduced me to West Coast jazz. So now I find a lot of times Mm -hmm. during dinner, I'm putting on Chet Baker or Hank Mobley. Those are two choices I put on. Along with that, other jazz options, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, you know, kind of blue. That's always Great jazz listening. He also knows me so well, and I love jazz with dinner. (laughs) It's definitely my favorite. Whereas the movie I'm working now is more kid-focused, and it's a lot more rooted in hip-hop and more popular styles of music. And I recently discovered a new band out of Texas. It's all instrumental called Crangbin, I think is the name of them. They're from Austin. And it's like great pop songs, but without the lyrics. But we had our friend Jessica in town last weekend, and I had their playlist going for like Four hours. It was just like perfect dinner party mm. sort of music. Mm. So nice. those are my go-tos. Instrumental. I also like a classic would be like Newgrass album, like Bela Flex Drive is a great one, like really great musicianship, mm. but instrumental, kind of tucked into the background. Yes. What you guys don't know is when I met James, he was a drummer in a bluegrass rock band. So the bluegrass thing goes deep with us. Yeah. I've been all over the place in terms of music, I think. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to play another fun game with you because I think playing games is super fun. I don't want you to think like culturally. I just want you to think of your own personal desire. I'm going to ask you a genre of music, and I want you to name something you would want to eat while listening to that genre of music. So just free association, whatever I kind of come up with. Yes, but try to make it like dive into your stomach. Try to get out of like the cultural stuff. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Classic rock. Classic rock. Well, might have to say American Pie. (laughs) It seems like too easy. (laughs) Oh, okay. How about punk? Punk. Cheeseburger, maybe. I could do a cheeseburger with some Mm, punk rock. I like it. What about classical? Classical. Uh, It'd have to be something rooted in 
tradition, maybe like something European, like a roast chicken over potatoes and carrots or something. That seems like a traditional Ooh. European kind of meal. Yeah. You're making me hungry. <laughs> okay. What about rap? Uh, well, I grew up in Atlanta, so I'm a fan of Southern hip hop, especially Outkast. So my Outkast affiliation would have to make me say shrimp and grits and all that pimp shit. <laughs> so sweet. Okay. What about bluegrass? We kind of touched on bluegrass. Bluegrass. Yeah. What would I do? Something, uh, maybe buttermilk waffles. Uh, that's, there you go. That's my Ooh, bluegrass. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Okay. One more heavy metal. Heavy metal. Maybe like a slice of famous raised pizza in the Lower East Side or something. <laughs> I think you nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so curious to hear, like, you guys all pipe in in the comments. What came to mind for you all when you heard those musical genres? Okay, so this has been so fun chatting with you. And I have one last question, unless you have anything else that you want to share about music and food. Not off the top of my head. Yeah, shoot me some more questions. Okay. This is another question that I ask all my guests. It is your last meal on earth. What would it be? Oh, gosh. I might just have to tap back into that childhood nostalgia and go back to that mixed restaurant from Sunday afternoons, get myself those fried chicken tenders <laughs> with the chocolate malt and the chocolate cake. Chocolate cake was such a motivator for me, I think, and continues to be like probably my favorite food because when I was a young kid learning how to play soccer. My dad is my soccer coach. And he encouraged me. He said, if I can kick the soccer ball all the way up to the top of our backyard hill, he would take me to mix for a piece of chocolate cake. So I would go out there after school every day and just like kick that ball over and over and over again until hmm. finally I kicked it up to the top of the hill. And sure enough, me and my dad went out one weekend afternoon and got a piece of chocolate cake. And I think it's so ingrained into my memory now that that's my go-to. So my desert island meal, take me back to my childhood, give me that piece of chocolate cake. Yeah, this is what you ask for for your birthday every year, by the way. So I'm not very surprised. Fried chicken and chocolate cake. Mm. Although I will tell people I do not make mixed chocolate cake, but I do make a chocolate quinoa cake. This is the cake you ask for, which I I'm always it. surprised. Yeah, we shouldn't have to but... wait for my birthday to make it again, I don't think. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been super fun. Can you just tell people the names of your albums so they can go find them and stream them? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. you can find me, James Sizemore, on the internet. If you look on any of your streaming platforms, my three albums will pop up with those names as well as a couple singles. First album is called Frameworks. The second one is called Wild Being. And the most recent was called Treatise. That's my solo piano album. So yeah. And I will say... I'm going to play my own game now and tell people that that music is the music I listen to when I bake. That is my baking for me is a very soothing and meditative type of process. And your music just, I love it. It kind of puts me in a really great place. So not to say you have to bake when you listen to his music. You can do whatever you want, but that's <laughs> one of my favorite things to Thank do. Yeah. It seems like a natural <laughs> pairing, baking and music. I love you. Thank you for coming on. I love you too, sweetie. I hope this, this makes it out for Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes, it will. All right. All right. Good talking to you. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. 
And by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore, and as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.